0: The Women in Agile podcast series amplifies the voices of outstanding women in the Agile community. We're dedicated to sharing the wisdom and inspiration our community has to offer by telling our stories, being thought leaders, and having open conversations with our allies. This series is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. I'm your host, Leslie Morse, and today we are chatting with Colleen Kirkland. Colleen is passionate about expanding agility far beyond the boundaries of technology. She's currently an assistant vice president of Emerging Technology for Pacific Life, and outside of work, enjoys constructive activism in the environment and education where she works with underserved students. Colleen is driven to help create learning organizations that inspire people to continuously deliver value while reinventing themselves, and she believes that as automation displaces traditional human work, there is a great need to evaluate and leverage technology to improve the human condition. Colleen, thank you so much for being with me today.
1: So delighted, Leslie.
0: Yeah, I, um, I, I, your your background and your profile really piqued my interest. As I was getting prepped for our discussion, and even just as we've been chatting, um, getting ready to start recording today, uh, there is a lightness to your energy that I'm just really excited to get to share with everybody.
1: Well, that's really good because, uh, well, I can be light and I can totally be silly as well. So it (laughs) it can go in a full range of spectrums, but I think um, that that's actually a compliment because I I do believe in the power of soft influence. And, um, you know, we have this thing um, in our current transformation of Pacific life where Everything's voluntary, you know. I actually say this whole transformation is voluntary and please come along if you wanna be a part of the coalition of the willing. So everyone now says coalition of the willing and um, it's amazing what you can do when you seed willingness and desire in people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And there's something about this idea of being willing and the power of invitation. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we always talk about psychological safety and creating safe places as as agilists and really just sort of in today's work cultures in general and giving those people that opportunity to opt out mm-hmm. is so important. And I think that coalition of the willing is a really great way to phrase that.
1: Yeah, I, I think that um, it's amazing It's sort of like this, you know, I I see Agile similar to introducing any kind of innovation. So, um, i'm sure leslie you're familiar with the diffusion of innovation theory We've heard of that right where you have Initially you have innovators and early adopters then you have the majority and you have to jump this chasm, right? Yep, but how do you start right because because I mean, I think we've all perhaps been a part of completely top-down agile transformations and how ineffective that is um, because it's like, where did this come from? And, and and is there that 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 kind of desire right on the ground? And it's interesting, too, because a lot of um, sort of change management practices also support this coalition of the willing idea. So it's not like a totally new idea. I mean, one nice thing was when our uh, HR department at Pacific Life introduced the ProSci change model, the ADCAR change model, where you cultivate awareness and the de- desire then the knowledge then the ability then the reinforcement it's it's similar right because i think that d for desire really has to be there and so i don't it's kind of interesting if you look at it from that change management lens, what we're doing in Agile really should be because we have this amazing desire. The why is so compelling that we're like, please sign me up, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it becomes something there. I think when we take those classic change management concepts and really um, overlap them with everything that Agile is, it's we. Uh, if they truly become infused, the idea of change management almost goes away mm-hmm. because there becomes organizational, what I'm starting to call change fluency. Like we are so mm-hmm. fluent with the idea of change is, and it's happening every single day, mm-hmm. that it's all emergent organically from the systems because of those desires.
1: Well, don't you find it amazing though, that um, it, it it's as if we sort of in this age of digital transformation think that suddenly we have to change where in fact life has always been chaotic and sort of changing yes. so it's yeah. sort of like a reacknowledgement of you know what's been true for centuries about yeah. change and and like you said emergence and and that sort of do we really cause it like nobody really knows what makes things change because you know it's complex right i mean we could be one agent in this whole system of change and we make a little change and that affects something else and that affects something else. And the question was, did we ever have a completely stable, you know, predictable world? No, we
0: just pretend like we do. (laughs) And we've taught our brains that that's what's happening. And so it's uh, the neuropathways don't fire like that. (laughs) Before, before, I, I feel like we could keep playing with this, but before we get too far, I would like to just get a little bit of context on like, how did you find Agile? Obviously, like, incredibly, um, successful in the technology industry, right? Working with emerging technology and all of that. But along this journey for you, where did agile become a thing?
1: That's kind of interesting. I feel I honestly found it through amazing people who want to continually improve, grow, and learn. So it's sort of like, it found me cause I gravitated toward a group of people and, Oh, by the way, you know, have you heard of this agile thing? And you know, it, it's. I think I was just completely drawn to the people in our community because there's just sort of this amazing humility and this recognition that we'll never know at all and that maybe as a collective mind we'll do better. And so I think, it, you know, Agile found me in that way because I was drawn to a lot of my colleagues and that are friends now as well who just model it and live it and breathe it every day. Right. And so it, it, it even goes beyond like agile. It's just the, 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 the humble way in which people operate. And I, I see that pretty consistently, honestly, I hope you have the same experience, but I'm yeah. just so blown away. I'm, I'm humbled by the people I meet along the way and, and how much there is to learn.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, completely. The, um, uh, I feel like I often lived in the land of imposter syndrome because every every day that I'm like, you know what? Oh, I kind of feel like I finally have this figured out. I learned something new that sends me right in to imposter mm-hmm. syndrome again of like, no, there's so much I just don't know. Um, but there is that humility that as a community, everyone seems to sort of have there. Um, and in playing in the space of emergent technology, the underpinnings of what we get is the benefits of agile, right? Naturally go together that fast inspect and adapt and all of those things as we're working, as you're working with emerging technology every day. So as an executive, um, for a large organization, what's sort of your view of sort of the state of the agile industry? And I'll actually kind of take it back to that framing you gave us a few minutes Mm -hmm. ago around, you know, early adopters versus late adopters and and crossing that chasm. Like, Mm -hmm. how, how do you see the state of the world?
1: Well, it is kind of interesting, right? If you, if we go back to the history of the capital A word, as we know it, right, the the legend is that the wonderful founders of the Agile Manifesto somewhere around the year 2000, 2001 met in a ski lodge and they built this incredible manifesto with the four key principles. And, um, you know, when you look at it that way, we're probably now in the late majority, truly mm-hmm. for Agile. And I, I also look at that because now, you know, it's, it's, it's seeped into sort of executive management speak, many of the respected large consultancies. They also um, speak of agility, and, they, and it's interesting because there's almost this dialogue of it's some kind of secret sauce, you know, for for innovation and success, and that that's an interesting perspective. I mean, agile is just kind of a mechanism. I I don't view it as like the way to get there per se. It's one of the the things. It, it, it's one of the the things that companies might consider, but I view innovation as this kind of. Very intrinsic process that you kind of can't force, right? It's it's that spark of an idea. So it's sort of like, how do we create an environment and the conditions where people are more likely to have these sparks of ideas, and then that's support, the magic. That's the them to sauce. their fruition. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. It's sort of like you know. Um, in that sense, I think we're already late in the the stage of agile as a capital A word, and some would argue it's, it's maybe time to change. And I think one of the things we were chatting about earlier before we started recording was, um, you know, this notion that one of the things that um, in the evolution for Pacific Life, I've now been here a little over four years, that I think has worked really well for us is, you know, as, as leading this transformation, I don't have many rules because I do want people to self-organize and explore. But one of the things that I came to as we started to explore how would we explain this to executives, how would uh, our super senior executives, how would we explain it to them? I said, you know, let's pause a minute. How about if we try no canonical models? And what I mean by this is, you know, and I'm gonna throw out frameworks and I, by the way, I respect all the founders of these frameworks. You know, they all give us good ideas. You know, you've got less, you've got scrum and scale, you've got safe, all these like brands of agile, right? Um, and i said these are great let's study them all but one of the the reasons why i say we're not going to adopt one canonical model is what i've often seen in organizations and when i talk to my fellow coach friends and other executives when you declare the name of the canonical model it's like oh it's all over we have it down now of course the founders of those uh, models those people who founded them understand it's much more complex than that but when you inject that into an organization, then people declare that we are X or we are Y. It's like, oh, we don't have to think anymore. Let's look at the recipe book. Okay, this one says that we're gonna do this step first. We're gonna set up release trains and, you know, and it's not that those things are wrong. It's just that let's just look at all of them and let's get inspired by them, right? And so so, so I, I say, let's, let's be inspired by different people, but let's create this on our own, right? And really, it, of course, be well studied in it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I mean, there's so much more sense of ownership in it that way because it really is emergent um, of the system and from the system. Yes, yes. Um, and and I think that's uh, that absolutely can has the opportunity to increase the sticking power. Yeah. Because as we know, and I know, right? You've been to the Business Agility Institute conferences and the events over the years. Um, there are so many stories of failed agile adoptions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I call them adoptions because if it's truly transformation, I believe true transformation often sticks, but things that are just agile adoptions can, you know, it might take three or four or seven or 10
1: tries. Well, and you've heard, you know, the stories of, I think there was a coach friend of mine in San Diego said that, he was once asked to install agile. And I'm thinking that that's a very interesting verb to use with it. Like you click a button and it's kind of done. And, and maybe in those installations, people will get all the external forms, like these people that are forced onto dedicated teams, but the why's won't be explained. Right. And so it's like, I truly view every transformation as unique because one thing I like to say is that, you know, we're not only iterating on the product, we're iterating on the people. And so, I kind of have this thing where I say that we are not only iterating on the object of creation, but also the creators, and that part also the creators is often forgotten because they're the ones who actually cause the object of creation to occur. And we focus a lot on the object of creation, and so all these like external factors of like, which team are you going to be on, and and you know are you are you doing your burn down charts and all this stuff? That's a part of it, but we can't forget that. What makes it unique in every place is that the people part is a huge part of the complex adaptivity of it. And every person is different and every organization I I would say has a different internal metabolism, right? Like this is my first insurance company ever in my career that I've worked in. And there's a really interesting thing about it. It's not right or wrong. It's just, it's a slower metabolism. But that's not a bad thing. You know, the positive aspect of slowing down is that there's time for why, right? So, and, and the other far, part that uh, um, positively impacts you know, the environment at Pacific Life, it's a privately held company. And so therefore there's not this quarterly pressure, right? We have other kinds of pressure and we're still very much subject to external pressures, but it's different than a public stock company. So, like when you walk in to coach any team or when you walk into a new organization, the first thing is observe, breathe, and look at what it is because there could be just this amazing beauty with what it is, you know. And certainly, you know, when I walked here into Pacific Life four and a half years ago, this is a remarkably successful company. It's been around for 150 years. The the culture is fantastic. There's a lot of really supportive people. It's a very you know, when I look at different executive teams I've worked with, I, I, there's a huge ton in the environment that's positive, right? So, yes, decision-making takes a long time. And if, you, like, suddenly if I walked in and said, let's, let's all just do Scrum, well, that wouldn't necessarily work. Because for people who haven't iterated on two weeks, that's, like, why and what are you yeah. doing, right? So, again, it's part of, like, none of these models, right? And so it's very interesting. Um, I've been there to be the guide and to, to help us think about the way in which we want to co-create it but i'm definitely not saying thou shalt do this right because part of it is the amazing discovery and in fact i'll tell a story that i'm really proud of in in our organization you know okay um do you work with technology groups leslie or i do i do yeah and and a lot of our listeners do so you 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 have like okay so you you know there are many different stacks out there you've got web stacks api layers You've got, you know, in in our organization, we have a mainframe, as many insurance companies do. So take a wild one on which group was the first to really, like, tip Agile. Um, So I'm
0: actually, my instinct is telling me that it's the anti-pattern here, and I'm going to pick mainframe.
1: You're right. (laughs) Well, of course, because I would have to tell this story, right? Yeah, because as I say, which is
0: unlike anything I've actually experienced in my career. (laughs) Well, and this
1: is the beauty of it. It was that, you know... I think that there there was a story. We we actually had um, a a project effort that involved kind of a lot of work. I mean, I'll say it that way. And we had a hard time launching this because there were. I think one of the analysts showed me some attempt to launch it. It was like a 500-page requirements document or something, right? And I think people were just pounding their heads as to how in the heck we're going to even get this started. And, And and there's the, the leadership in that area, they're very supportive. And 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 they had heard about this agile thing and they said, Hey, what harm can it do if we send a couple of our analysts to some agile courses, right? Who knows what'll happen? You know, they come back and it's like the button started clicking. I mean, and these were like some of the, you know, sharpest people in our organizations said, I think, I think we can do, I think we can do this. And they tried it. And they had MVP like within five months and the customer was delighted. The internal and the the customer actually said, our business partner said, I think we want to work like this from now on. Right. And so, and at that point then they started running into kind of the challenges you have with integrating with other teams who are going at a different pace and may not be working the same way. And they said, can we please get some coaching in here to help us? And of course, then I'm like, of course, let's go get some external coaching to help us you know, do this. But I think the beauty of it was that it was the team's discovery and their excitement and i could feel when that tipping point happened it was like a eureka moment right and oh, yeah. and, and, and 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 of course then if 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 the mainframe team stands up to do it you know that's just like what <laughs> and you know because because that's not traditionally what we know so so that is a story i like to tell because it's like you you can you should always allow for that surprise of where things emerge right and this is a perfect example of like the team's now of course We have a lot of other teams that were experimenting at the time, but that's just such an unusual place for typically an agile transformation to kind of hit a tipping point, right?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I think there's such such beauty in other technologists going, well, gosh, if they can do it there, then of course we should be able to get it figured out just because of the inherent – i guess stereotypes of the limitations of yeah. more rapid development in the mainframe and,
1: and there definitely you know had been in the past you know tool limitations the way in which you know the app is built but mm-hmm. even there now there are there are tool sets that are starting to address that so it's sort of like that's that's a primary lesson of sort of individuals and interactions over processes and tools right because that's yeah. like yeah it's not the tool that's going to make it it's something else that's the secret sauce Yeah. Yeah.
0: So to sort of kind of maybe wrap up this phase of our discussion today, as you think about the the leadership you've provided within Pacific Life around the Agile transformation, because I want to talk about how you've been using Agile in other ways Mm -hmm. and sort of the Agile outside of just technology, Mm -hmm. any sort of advice or um, pointers you might want to give our listeners about things you've learned through that journey?
1: Oh, man, that's so hard, because I feel like I've learned so much. And I'm, I'm so grateful for the opportunity uh, to be here at PAC Life. Honestly, it's such a wonderful bunch of people. Um, You know, I think I've grown the most in terms of studying and understanding complex adaptive systems, because the second we said no canonical models, I said, uh, my father's a physicist, so I always have to find scientific basis for whatever I'm <laughs> thinking about. And so I discovered, you know, a lot of the people who do think about systems and complex adaptive systems. And I said, this is something I can just, I'm still studying it today, you know, and I'm, there There are brilliant minds, uh, really brilliant minds who think about it. There's so much material on it. Um, the Santa Fe Institute is uh, an organization I've discovered. They are all about studying complexity and It is really interesting. I think they're interested in those emergent patterns, right? And, and I think that was probably the biggest growth for me is like, watch the pattern and guide it and let it find its own voice, you know, and that's, that's what I'm here for. I feel like that's my mission is, is allowing everybody's natural voice to come out. And whatever, whatever it may be, right? Whatever yeah. it may be. Yeah. yeah. And
0: the thing actually, I, I love about hearing that. And I want to relate it back to a little bit of how you talked about when you arrived there and some of the important things is like you talked about, you came in here using a model that I've heard other coaches talk about um, called enter center turn. Right. You entered the system. You took that time to center yourself on what is here. What is this organization's culture like? And then finding those opportunities to turn through that invitation and culture of the a coalition of the willing was the phrase you used. Right. To allow those things to merge and then really championing deep democracy to hear all those voices. But what I'm also really picking up on in the way you talk about this is um that it's not just about the deep democracy of the voices of the individuals but it's actually the holistic voice of the system as mm-hmm. if the teams had their own voice and were their own entity speaking not just a collection of humans
1: and i'll add on to that i also say 360 degree empathy with our executive team right because we all know of a time when i would say there was a pocket of practitioners in agile that were almost anti-executive and i never liked that now what you really see when you step back is two systems clashing, right? There, there is a need to look at the budget and how we run. Folks, we won't have a paycheck if we don't do that. Right. right? And so, you know, I, I kind of describe it to people like this. It's like, there's a beauty in all kinds of systems, even hierarchical ones. So when mm-hmm. people mistake Agile for flat, I said, flat is good in some decision-making processes, but not in all, right? And so I, I said, look at it. It's, it's kind of like this, the human body's a natural system. The nervous system is hierarchical. If you put your hand on a stove, it's an instant like top-down decision to please get your hand off that stove to protect yourself, right? But the immune system adapts and it knows how to do the magic transformation to kill whatever antibody that is in front of it, right? And um, so I I think when you look at different kinds of systems, you know, I like to bust the myths about agility as it means flat. Everybody's going to be like Spotify. And it's like, oh, by the way, (laughs) you know, that's not necessarily true. And, you know, as I learned more from the coaches who were coaching Spotify through their most transformative period, there's actually a management hierarchy there, but they just view the management hierarchy. They view themselves as supporting the team. Right. But that gets lost in the story too. And then, and then it's sort of like, I think there's so much growth and opportunity for us to work on this understanding of, the executives as part of the 360 degree empathy, right? It's not just yeah. the team. So that's the chapter we're all waiting for. I'm excited. <laughs>
0: yeah. And, and I think you're, you're really pointing to this idea of, is this almost a little bit of the spiral dynamics idea as you progress through the right, you know, orange and green and teal and all mm-hmm. these different colored organizations, there are healthy and unhealthy manifestations of each. And so, just because you're a flat organization, right? I'm using quotation fingers. Mm-hmm. A flat organization, because that's good in agile, mm-hmm. doesn't mean that that's always going to have a healthy manifestation.
1: Right, and and it's sort of like you know, self-organization. The line between self-organization and chaos is a fine one.
0: Oh and yeah. Chaos
1: is not comfortable to people. Complete and utter anarchy. I guess I would say chaos. Yeah. Disorder. is good I mean, because the yeah, and, model. and I'd say, you know <laughs> chaos sometimes is is the place right before we emerge into the pattern. So chaos is a good thing and necessary. I guess it's anarchy, right? Because I mean, I don't want to um name the organization, but there's one organization that everyone says, please read the manual for this organization. It's completely flat. There's no management, you know. And it sounds good on paper, but when you go on Glassdoor and look at the comments of working there, it's, it's, it's not as great as it seems. So it's like, how do we get all these competing systems to actually work together? Because, you know, nature is that way. I mean, nature has hierarchy built into it. That's yeah. what we call a pecking order, right? Yeah, so, food chain. <laughs> right, you can't deny those things. And so I, I think, I think yeah. what that beauty of the emergence is, we have so much to learn. And, 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 and here, you know, we've had academics uh, writing books on complex adaptive systems since like the 90s. And so I'm going and I'm studying every single one of them, even though like 90% of it is like whoop right over the head. But, you know, I mean, that's that's part of it is I'm going to challenge myself to really try and understand this because there's something in it and there's the way in which we – think about transformation, I get so inspired by, by thinking through those things.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned a uh, related to complex adaptive systems, right? The Santa Fe Institute, mm-hmm. but if, if someone's wanting to go sort of pick up a book or something like that mm-hmm. as a good entry point towards studying that, are there any recommendations you have?
1: Yeah, I think Scott Page wrote a book called complex adaptive systems, and it's sort of about sociology and, uh, it, it, it deals with, um, adaptive systems in sociology, uh, and other things. But that's a good book. And then um, Systems Thinking, a Primer by Donella Meadows is also one. I think she is some kind of a bioscientist, but she wrote a really nice thing to just think about holistic thinking. And it's an easy read and easily understood. So I think that's a good starting point. And then the Santa Fe Institute. I mean, that is for like, you know, I'm even going back and learning like, basic, you know, pre-calculus because I don't understand like <laughs> what <those> people are <laughs> talking about, but it's, it's actually, it's, it's been a good journey for me and kind of relearning some high school stuff that I, I haven't been looking at in a long time. Yeah. <laughs>
0: and I mean, so important there for, to have that beginner's mind. Oh yeah, yeah around a lot yeah. of this stuff and that oh. even for somebody that's an officer of a company right there's oh God there's so much to still learn and play with
1: and relearn I mean, yeah. I mean here I am I mean I'm literally laughing at myself saying, you know I, I told my boss I said, hey, as a self-development thing, I'm going back and reviewing all math mathematical things because I'm working a company company with actuaries and man those people are smart and I kind of need to speak their language and I'm going back and I'm trying to do like these basic quadratic equations and solve them it's like crud I keep on getting it wrong you know I'm just so careless so but it's it's I laugh at it but I truly approach it with the beginner's mind and I'm willing to start again even though I'd seen some of this in high school because I lost the knowledge and it's time to re-engage that language because I need to use it for some of the adapt complex adaptive system stuff I'm studying personally but also I'm, I'm working in a company with financial people. You know, I better get my math act together. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. All right. So before we wrap up, two other things I want to make sure to explore with you. One, right. So the work you do with nonprofit organizations mm-hmm. and the service you provide outside of your 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 career um, mm-hmm. proper. How are you allowing your belief and commitment to agile values and principles to to influence outside? In, in in that nonprofit and community service work,
1: I would say that stuff starts to get out of the scope of the pure A Agile. But I'm going to take a moment to mention uh, Harrison Owen's book, A Practice of Peace. Um, he is the founder of Open Space. We all know what Open Space is, and and I love his definition of peace because he says, you know, peace is um, not the absence of conflict. It's how we flow through the conflict. Right. And so it, it's about this flow through conflict. And I think I take that into the nonprofit world because there are so many different ideas. Uh, I mean, I, I, for instance, one of the organizations I volunteer for is um, working with underserved students and being an academic mentor for them. And it was really funny, but I've been with this org now for about six years. And we used to all just talk grades, 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 you know. And I don't think we were really opening the space for what needed to get heard because a lot of the parents of these kids, you know, they work seven days a week, minimum wage jobs with no support. It's very, very difficult. And what I like about what I see now in the organization is, yes, we do still look at grades and we get people to help tutor the kids academically. Or sorry, the students, they're high schoolers for the most part. (laughs) But, um, you know, we started to bring in conversations about like, depression and suicide because that's really what's on their mind. Right. And so, and so I guess my point is that part about opening space is what I bring directly into the volunteering because that has, I mean, we barely, the only thing I've shared with our students is like personal Kanban to get homework done. But beyond that technique, everything else is about really hearing what's on people's minds. And when you really empathize with the conditions that a lot of our students have to uh, deal with in their daily lives, it's no wonder that their grades aren't matching up, right? Yeah. And so so we have to get into these other conversations. And so I'm really glad to see now that we're talking about the stuff that matters to them, as hard as it is to hear the word suicide, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah.
0: it almost like, and, and I've this literally is like new ideas firing in my brain right now in this conversation. Like I'm almost seeing that there's like, in today's more modern society with all of the complexities mm-hmm. that exist especially for right teens and young adults and all of this it's a redefinition of Maslow's hierarchy of needs mm-hmm. like what it means to sort of have those base levels met now with the way things like mental health and suicide and yes. all of these different things like it's not the we're not playing the same game of life that we were when You know, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, like it's so rapidly changing. And to your point, right? There's we have to be able to lean into those different conversations that have just never existed.
1: And I mean, the system is bigger than we are. And a quick example is, I mean, I live in Orange County, California, and it's very expensive to live here, and it's displacing a lot of people. The rents are skyrocketing, and you know, wages are not. That's a common economic factor that we all hear about, and so the impact on these families is enormous. And so, you know, sometimes it, it, it almost feels like it's hard because you feel like, am I making a difference? Um, but I think when you see the wins, the few wins that we have, it, it, it makes it worth it. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So then before we wrap up, Colleen, um, I want to bring us back, right? This is the Women in Agile podcast series. And so we've talked about a lot of different topics, but I do want to kind of get your opinion of what is it that you have observed about the role of women, right? Maybe even like in technology in general, but also Mm -hmm. within our agile community, since you've been a player here along with us.
1: Oh, well, you know, I mean, actually, the interesting thing is of all communities that I walk in, I almost feel like... um, gender isn't as big of an issue in terms of what I, I see in the people I'm around. So it's, it's like, I'm just glad to feel that I can be completely genuine, you know. And I, and I actually think, um, I know there's a lot of controversial conversations in the media and whatnot uh, about the role of women, but I, I always just say, kind of like, I think I just believe that if, if we treat others with respect, regardless of our gender, you know, um, people respond. Right. And, and, and I think that, that, you know, I think I can just win people out with the most cheerful attitude. I mean, I am from a family of immigrants, my family, my father and mother are fresh off the boat. And so it's sort of like what could possibly go wrong in a country where, you know, things really do kind of work on the relative scale. Right. So, so your obligation, my dad always said, your obligation is to just, you know, knock it out of the park, be cheerful and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that, um, you know, I, I'm excited about the role women have. And I'm also excited about a lot of the things I see with upcoming generations and how, you know, some of the the, the previous biases that we had are starting to melt away. You know, so I think, uh, but, you know, let's, let's, let's be honest, you know, nature's nature too. And I love I love being a woman, you know, and I, and I yeah. love working with men and women and I love having diversity in the environment that I work in, you know, love that. Yeah.
0: I think that's great. Any advice for women earlier in their careers or maybe new to agile that you'd want to sort of leave them with as we wrap up today?
1: Yeah. I think just find who you really are and then roar. <laughs> yeah,
0: I love that. And, 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 if, and if you, if you were seeing someone roaring, right? Or if you, if you knew you were roaring yourself, like what would you be calling sort of within you to produce that roar?
1: Well, roar is amazing because it can be gentle, you know, rivers roar and they're amazingly gentle on the surface as well. So I I think, um, there's all kinds of roaring. There's definitely loud roaring and there's soft roaring, but I think, um, whatever it is, when You can just tell when people have found themselves and know who they are, there's just this amazing liberating factor in the things you do in life, right? Because you really see that every day is this wonderful opportunity to engage with people, to explore and to have your mind change, to change others' minds, to influence and this exchange with people, you know, and I, that's the thing I wake up to every morning just thinking, you know, what are the amazing interactions I can have?
0: Yeah, this it sounds like authenticity, curiosity, and
1: courage. uh, Yeah, yeah, very good words. Yeah, definitely. That's
0: awesome, Colleen. Any final thoughts before we before we wrap up?
1: No, thank you okay. so much, Leslie, for your time. I really appreciate, you know, yeah, having no. this opportunity as well. <laughs> yeah,
0: thank you so much for being here. It was a joy to chat with you. I feel like we probably could have gone on for two hours if we wanted to. <laughs> um, so we may have to get you back on for another conversation, but greatly, greatly Absolutely. appreciate you
1: <laughs> Wonderful.
0: Excellent. Thanks again. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. It's brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile Nonprofit Organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. We hope you've learned something new and invite you to tell a friend or a coworker about the podcast. You can go online to womeninagile.org to learn more about our initiatives and find additional inspiring podcast conversations. Thanks for listening to this Women in Agile podcast episode. Find more inspiring conversations by visiting womenandagile.org/podcast checking out the podcast series on iTunes or visiting your podcast application of choice. If you have an idea for a topic, speaker, or feedback on an episode, please reach out to us via email through podcast at womeninagile.org.